Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Launch with Tech Leaders. My name is Adam Oberhausen, and I'm the director of cloud architecture with Bright Brain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me today, as always, is software and data consultant Tom Tom Kowalski. Say hello. hi, Tom. Howdy. And of course, uh, my second co-host, uh, uh, new to the show, is our business technology consultant, Joe Coleman. Say hi, Joe. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for having me, Adam. Appreciate it. No problem. So today we're going to talk about data ops, what it is, um, how it came to be, what are the core concepts, best practices, and uh, probably some other random stuff as well. So uh, yeah, Tom, um, coming off your presentation at AWS Meetup Michigan last week, that went really well. Yeah, a lot and, of fun. Uh, so congrats on that. It was a great show. Um, and uh, but today we're here to talk about data ops. So are you excited or no? Yeah, I'm always excited. All these tech topics, you know, I'm excited to talk about. It. I feel like it plays right into, uh, like we were saying, what we were talking about last week with uh, the data-driven decisions and setting the goals and, and measuring those right with product management. So yeah, tying right along into it, you know, how do you, how do you get that data, right? What's the the, the pipeline for it and the operations? around yeah. it. So yeah, really excited to uh, to bring on our guests here. We have Grant Allen, if you want to say hello, what about yourself? Hello. Yeah, I, uh, I'm a data analyst at Right Brain Networks. I focus a lot on um, machine learning stuff. Uh, I've done pretty interesting stuff um, with stuff like seg semantic segmentation. All right, look Thanks, forward Grant. to diving into that. And then we also have a special guest here, Mark Schiebold. You want to introduce yourself sure hi everyone my name is mark Schiebold. i am a test data management engineer for general motors i've been in the data world for about nine years now um seeing everything from you know the back end to the front end so yeah definitely passionate about data and excited to talk about it awesome all right awesome now bet you know hate to interject guys but before we really start diving deep on this uh just wanted to throw it out there to any of the live listeners or attendees you know if you guys have any questions whatsoever uh please don't hesitate to throw it in the chat i'll make sure everything gets addressed and discussed by the team thanks joe all right so i did a little bit of research this week tom and uh you know i always like to start with a history lesson like how did data ops come to be so i'll start with that and then i think we'll just go right into talking to our guests because i'm i'm boring but so there's a few miles there's like there's five milestones that led to the emergence of data ops um and those milestones aren't in really any order here but you've got um, you know, in the 80s and 90s is kind of when data warehousing became a thing, where companies were centralizing their data and doing their reporting off a single repository. In the early 2000s, you move on to big data explosion, um, and that's when um, companies started, newer technologies emerged, such as Hadoop and NoSQL databases to handle large uh, volumes of unstructured data. 
Milestone number three is the emergence of cloud computing in the mid-2000s, so that made it a lot more affordable, accessible uh, for companies to process large amounts of data. And then um, milestone number four, uh, kind of in the 2010s, you have the emergence of data science and machine learning, um, which led to more efficient and effective ways to manage your data and um, automation to support that. And then milestone number five kind of ties back into everything we do here, which is just DevOps. Like it's basically taking the DevOps philosophy and applying it to your your data, right? So it's kind of what my research showed. Um, so I don't, I'm not really sure exactly when like data ops quote like became a buzzword, but like it feels it feels new to me. Yeah, it's it's also interesting, right? You see DevOps, and it's they put it together, right? It became like a thing. It, it, what you didn't say that before, right? Is like Dev and Ops is like two separate words, but right with that Ops, you see it separated. So is it you know more the operation side, or is it more of a you know paradigm shift, you know philosophy methodology, right? Like DevOps is, or are you just talking about data operations? Um, so yeah, I love to yeah. like to dive into it here. Yeah. So the textbook definition of data ops is the practice of managing and maintaining the quality, availability, and performance of data within an organization. This includes tasks such as data ingestion, transformation, storage, access, and security. So with that, you know, I'd like to talk to someone who's actually doing it uh, rather than just like reading from uh, from ChatGPT. <laughs> um, so Mark, you've been in the data field for a long, long time. Like, do you guys? Do you have a definition of data ops or if that's a bad question, just kind of talk to me about like your career experience and how you got into data. Yeah, sure. So there's definitely DevOps and data ops going on at, at GM right now. And um, they're really trying to revamp what we're doing with data at, at GM right now. Specifically, you know, I just joined the new a new team to do test data management over at GM. Um, this team started probably around March or April last year. And, you know, the goal is we're really trying to get high quality data for, for developers to work with um, in their lower environments because we've we've seen situations where, you know, these we have good prod data, but then when they develop with, you know, lower environment data, you know, test or dev data, they don't necessarily count for everything. They don't have all the values there. There's not every situation or use case available. So they develop what they think is right. They move to production. And then, you know, someone says, oh, there's an issue, there's an error, and it's due to data data quality um, or just not having enough data in the war environment to account for it. So I, I personally have, have experienced that myself. I've done, um, you know, I was working on a report uh, in Tableau and, you know, it was, it's a big high level one for C-level audiences and inside and, you know, shows a lot of good KPIs and stuff like that. And then they tried to go run one of the calculations and it broke. And they're like, you know, you know, Mark, why did, why is this breaking? You know, I, I took a deep dive into it, right? Well, you know, looked at the SQL code and all that stuff and realized, oh, we didn't have a, a, these, you know, there were certain data values for this column that didn't exist in dev and test. So when, when they come into the prod calculations, it breaks everything. So having really good test data to work with is, is being, you know, really important right now. So they're really trying to, to work that out. And, you know, that's what, that's what I'm doing. That's interesting. So what, what are the practices? How, how do you do that? Right. Do you, is it some type of machine learning, right. That you're using, you know, to like figure out, try to make the, that data more real or yeah. How do you, well, and yeah, then so it's a governance issue, right. Of yeah, there's definitely a lot of security. So yeah. There's definitely yeah. a lot of security related issues. So there's, there's, um, 
what they call you know personal information versus sensitive personal information. So there's there's two you know classifications of data that they that they use inside, and you know based on that, there's so many different rules surrounding it. So you have to be very careful when when taking copies of production environments and moving them to the lower. So, but the big thing that we're we're doing right now, you know, is data masking because there's a lot of with this personal information such as you know like IDs, you know names, you know all, all this other stuff. It's sensitive information that we don't want to have you know leaked or anything like that. So you mask it, you can, you know, shuffle it around, randomize it. There's all these different data functions you can use to to manipulate the data. So it it's it's a it's an exact copy of prod in your lower environment, but all the values are totally mixed up. So if someone does get access to it, they they couldn't do any damage. Definitely relate to that challenge. Uh, yeah. working from at some previous companies where, you know, basically it's so easy to just take a copy of prod data and put it in a lower environment, but it's a big no no. You shouldn't do that. That's that's kind of goes against best practice, uh, PII, HIPAA, all the things. So, yep. um, is there real quick? Is there a tool that does all that masking like automatically, or did you have to like write a pr proprietary thing that like scrubs your cleans your data or masks the data? Yeah. So right now we're currently um, we're working with IBM, and we're using okay. their tool called Optum. It's part of their test data you know management suite. And yeah, we've been working pretty closely with them to to configure it for you know for GM use. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of things that have to be set up for the tool uh, in order for it to work properly. So um, it took a, took a little bit to get going with them, but you know we're we're up to speed now, and we went live uh, in October. Great. Um, Want to give Grant a chance to chime in with a question? Uh, Grant, like you know, in general, what do you when I say if I was to ask you, you know. Uh, at a coffee shop, you know what? What is data ops? What do you what do you think of, or how could you explain data ops to the to the layperson like me? Um, oh, uh, to the layperson, I would probably say, um, I, I guess not to re reiterate too much. Uh, it would be uh, the process of managing and uh, prepping data for uh, whatever uses you may have internally. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a lot more depth that goes into it, uh, but uh, the general gist right there. Yeah. Um, how about, like, what are some of the core concepts of, of data ops? Like, what are, like, you know, I imagine there's things like governance, automation. Um, what are some of the things that you need to kind of be aware of? Like, what are the concepts that kind of make up data ops? Mark, Allen. Uh, Grant, sorry. Uh, anyone? I mean, uh, on my end, uh, where I do a lot of stuff with uh, machine learning, I tend to focus on um, the usability, um, storing things. I'm not working so much with a lot of personal information, so I'm not as worried about the security side of things and uh, keeping keeping uh, information as you know, private and locked down. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's a lot of like trying to figure out, you know, how can I get this data from one place to another in um, in a, a reasonably effective way, in a way that preserves the information that I need. Um, and that's that's largely been my focus when I do uh, the data driven stuff. Yeah, interesting. One of the big things that we we I've done actually is ETL. Um, and automation with ETL. So we we set up a lot of you know these jobs and procedures 
Um, I specifically worked with IBM Data Stage. Uh, so <laughs> GM has a big partnership with IBM, so we use a lot of their tools. Um, but Data Stage, you know, it's an ETL program where we can, you know, move data from source to destination. And you can you can do all these different changes along the way. You can ma manipulate it, transform it, all that good stuff. And then once these jobs are set up, you can automate them. Um, so you can, you know, schedule them to be daily, weekly, monthly, so forth, so that, you know, all these tables or views in your database are, you know, updated automatically. And um, you know that you have current data. So you can either, you know, you can also make history tables. So every time you run these jobs, you know, it keeps a log, you know, it's like, you know, job was run on, you know, each Monday and it shows that date. Or if it's just, uh, you know, if you don't want to maintain that large of a table, you know, you would just truncate it and, and replace. Is most hey, there, of the... uh, oh, so, sorry, Adam, it just oh. looks like we had a question in the chat there. Just wanted to make sure that answer didn't cover exact, covered um, anything that this is about here. Uh, Patrick Sullivan's asking, uh, is there an automation with that suite that pulls the data from the prod server, runs the data mask, and then pushes into the lower environments without manual intervention? Yep, that's, that's sort of what we're working on. So data stage and uh, Optum, both are two different IBM tools that we're using. Data stage is more the one that's going to be moving your data. Um, Optum also can can act as an ETL tool, but that's going to be the one that's going to be you know uh, masking your data, uh, you know shuffling it around, hiding it, making it more secure. The the other one, data stage, is just simply you know your your basic data movement with some basic, you know, conversion, maybe like changing the data type from like, you know, number to character or something like that. Okay, cool. And it looks like we actually have a little bit of a follow up on that from Brendan here. Uh, is it common to use format preserving encryption for masking data or is data um, generation more common? Uh, is there a preferred method of uh, these or another for seeding test data? Yeah, so I think the question, right, is sometimes you want to use like encryption. So that value, you can't tell what it is, but it stays the same across, you know, all of your data, right? If you have different table sets, you can still do joins on them versus yeah. like other masking that just randomly does it. You know, you lose that uh, that the ability to join tables. and Yeah, definitely with the tool that I, at least I, I work with, the Optum, they definitely, they make a big point to maintain that referential integrity to make sure that, you know, if we mask your primary keys, they'll still link up with your joins. So they they definitely make make sure you you do that because yeah, it can get pretty complex with you know multiple joins and stuff like that. So um, good question. Uh, question for Grant. Grant, what is what about AWS um, in terms of what do they do for ETL and what experiences have you seen with uh, in the AWS environment? Um, yeah, so AWS has a lot of options. Um, Glue is really nice. I've been working with that uh, recently on some internal stuff. Um, and uh, just, uh, I I like the way that um, uh, all their services kind of integrate together. I suppose it's probably not anything new for the cloud, but, um, but uh, it's nice to be able to reference something directly into uh, an S3 bucket for SageMaker and um, be able to sort of integrate these things together without having to um, to create some massive uh, repository or that you're running everything out of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you got something, Tom? Yeah. So I, I got to ask, right? I'm very, very into the DevOps, right? And the, the team topologies, right? Making sure they're 
there's no bottlenecks and you know the the teams are autonomous there's no silos so how do you deal with that right like how are you sort of contracted out by uh by a delivery engineering team to to deal with their data or is it yeah what what does that topology look like uh amongst teams that hierarchy and yeah how do you have challenges of blocking uh other teams and waiting for data and things like that and and how do you deal with it right what are you, what are your processes like uh, i guess i could speak on a little bit of that so we um our team you know it's like i said it was relatively new and we're what we do is we sort of onboard a lot of other internal teams within General Motors. So we basically adver advertise our tool to, to a lot of different teams. Like we could do a demo presentation um, and it's all internal by the way. And basically we basically show off the tool and the capabilities and the teams would be like, hey, you know, we have a huge use for this or, you know, we might not be able, we might not use it. And that's actually happened where we've presented it to a team and they're like, actually, you know what? We might not need all this capability. It might be a little too much. So, you know, but we, we keep presenting to different teams and seeing if they'll, they'll like it. And um, yeah, so we are, we are getting some, some good feedback regarding that. And, you know, as regarding the sort of hierarchy, the way that it works, it, you know, I could, at least from what I'm understanding your question, we have the application owners that come to us. They ask us to say, hey, we want to use this tool. We onboard their data uh, to our servers and you know get the tool all set up. And then they start working with it. And we sort of act as you know, ops operations for it. We, you know, if they have any questions or concerns, they'll come in and ask us. We'll help them, you know, push them on the right track. And then, you know, if there's anything more complicated than that, we actually, I can go to some one step above me. We've got some like test data management, like experts who are do some more internal facing work rather than, you know, my team does the external application team. So that's a little bit how it works. Yeah, love that. That's uh, yeah, great. Too. Alignment enablement versus that, you know, top down from some other place, right? You have to do it this way and like, you know, creating that that bottleneck where that data team is now responsible for all their data. And yeah, I like the- and it's, it's really interesting because every team has such unique data. Like we're like, it's funny, every time we, we work with somebody, we're, we're finding new new functions or techniques because they have, you know, different requirements for their data. They're like, oh, we have to do X, Y, and Z. We're like, oh, well, we have to go find a function for that, but you know, having having all this documentation handy that from IBM has, has been really helpful. <laughs> nice, awesome. And add to it, Grant. You deal with like team topologies in the. I know you're more in the consulting space, but yeah, how does how does it looked in, in things that you've dealt with? Or, um, I mean, uh, a lot of the stuff I've done has been developing uh, uh, the AI side of things. Um, I, there's been a lot of work done on like collecting data and how we can get new data for projects we're working on. Um, and this, uh, the thing that we usually, or I've usually been working on, uh, been these sorts of questions that have very easy ways to make uh, test data. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of like trying to figure out how to get these, uh, um, how to get, AWS services and working with some small teams on front end stuff to uh, put everything together. Um, but uh, in terms of you know getting having these um, more complicated team interactions, uh, at least not not so much when I've been working with such small teams. 
So, Mark, I wanted to follow up on your, um, you know, kind of what you said. So, is there other products within GM? Like, if you if you have this data tool, and a team says, "Yeah, this is not the right fit for us," but maybe this other team has a tool that is the right fit, or are you guys kind of like the? Is there only like is there centralized? Like, are you the only team that's doing like this data product, or is there multiple teams that offer like a suite of data? Options yeah, there's, there's definitely a, a lot of different application teams. Actually, the the team that I sort of it goes up the vertical. I'm is called uh, Application Lifecycle Tools. So that's sort of uh, our team name. So my my manager, you know, has a bunch of us and um, sort of these like sub teams that run all these different applications that you know help in different various ways. So like you know, I do the you know we do the data masking and all that data management. There's some other teams that, you know, sort of focus on, you know, the reporting aspect of it. Um, so it's all broken down into uh, different different roles, kind of. But there's there's a lot of different um, applications that do different things for, for different people. And it's not like a one size fits all for, for GM. So there's, there's a lot of different things that you can use. And um, they could be, you know, third party like IBM or developed in-house, as you mentioned earlier. We definitely have some in-house applications that were developed for you know, it's simply just comparing data. Um, one of the tools I used in-house was uh, they took like, you know, comparing a table from prod and test. You know, we wanted to compare, does it have exactly the same rows or, you know, where, like, you know, find out where the difference is in a certain value because this is this was our sort of the legacy tool that we used before the test data management to try to figure out, you know, where our test data went wrong. Gotcha. Um, question for Nicole. Hey, Nicole, welcome to the show. <laughs> I know you were in product management for many years and uh, data was always a challenge. So like, can you talk a little bit about like, there's like the product data and then it's like, they also want to like look at the business, like the sales data, the revenue data, and like bring all these data sources together and make sense of it. So like, how does, I mean, Tom, you're a data consultant. Like how does how does an organization solve this challenge of like, you've got all these data sources, um, there's probably not well-defined resources and roles to establish all these data policies. And like, how do you kind of, you know, muddle your way through the challenge? Yeah, I, I have struggled with that in, in my career as well. Um, the, and I think getting to your probably ultimate point is like using this information to see if we can measure what we built was successful, right? Like that was where I was coming from was wanting to be able to take um, a roadmap item and measure it against maybe churn or MRR, ARR. And those data points are maybe in like a completely different system coming out of Salesforce or coming out of your billing system. And where I'm living out of is maybe like a Pendo or a mix panel, which is like event-driven data. And so what we started to do with Pendo was to try to pull in some of that data um, because it, it kind of allowed us to synchronize like the state of the customer. Are they active? When did they cancel? What date did they cancel? And then we could start using that to measure against you know, if the things that we were building had any effect, but it, it was a struggle because a lot of that is event-based and a lot of times you want to look at just like the actual value of it and not know, or like if it changed from canceled to active and canceled, you know, like what those events don't necessarily tell you the whole story of like what they are right now in this current moment. So yeah, I, I guess long story short is I was 
trying to solve that problem with by using one central source, which in our case was Pendo, and then pulling in CRM data and billing data into that so that we could kind of lay it on top of what the user was doing in the app. But um, I'm sure I am not the expert on that by any means. So I don't know if Tom, you wanted to add to it. Well, no, I'm actually, you know, interested in, you know, what Mark has to do with, you know, you're, you're talking about there, there's that, you know, freedom you now to choose the tools right within GM and, and what they're using. So how, what challenge do you face with the alignment, right? And, and bringing that data together across the tools uh, you know, and, and integrating them. Is there like a um, BI tool on top of it all too, or sorry, I don't want to derail Tom's question, but yeah, sorry. What was the question about BI? Is there like a BI tool that like is used for the product to like slice and dice and visualize all? Do oh all the yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, the, data. Yeah, so to put like when you consider putting it all together, um, we we definitely used Tableau, the reporting thing uh, tool, just to you know just display a lot of things. Um, but also, we recently had a big partnership with My Microsoft, so we're also using Microsoft Power BI. That's a huge reporting mm -hmm. tool that you know I'm sure a lot of people have seen. So between the two, um, those that's where we mainly you know put all the information out there. You know, Tableau and Power BI have the capability of connecting all these different data sources that you want and and displaying anything. So um, you know, I have a lot. Yeah, I've definitely had a lot of experience with that. You know, prepping the data from the back end and moving it all the way to the front so people can uh, review it and make decisions. How do you deal with the alignment of the data across the different teams, right? And, and making sure it's not a bottleneck of this one data person having to know every single piece of data across everything in order to make sense of it and bring it together. Yeah, so that's a huge thing. Um, there's there's definitely that's a huge challenge amongst teams. I've noticed is there's definitely like, you know. Uh, subject matter experts, maybe like one or two people that like sort of own this set of data or this area. And like, if they go on vacation or, you know, for something they, you know, they have an emergency, who's going to take over that data? That's definitely a huge concern. Like there's definitely a bottleneck like that where, you know, if, you know, only one or two people have some control of this data. So they, they definitely are trying to get better at that and, um, you know, uh, account for failovers and things like that, uh, where if one thing you know, if one person goes down or even a system goes down, there's another thing to replace it or so people can keep working. So it's not just, you know, at a, you're at a stalemate. Yeah. I, just to add to it, right? I So I, I've kind of dealt with this. That's why I'm, you know, kind of asking. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just to add, one thing that we did was is making sure that you had that shared defined schema well documented, right? So you didn't need necessarily that expert. The expert was there to translate it to this more generalized schema that you know anybody could look at and kind of make sense. That you know it, it solved eighty percent of the things, right? But um, yeah, sometimes you do need that specialty. But what really helped us was making yeah that that schema that was kind of shared and easily digestible by by anybody that needed that data. Um, so yeah, that's it's interesting. Yeah, definitely a hard challenge. Yeah, for sure. Um, how about we dive into some of the best practices for data ops? Um, got a little short list here. I'll run through them. You guys can uh, hit me with questions or feedback. But uh, you're going to get started with data ops. Uh, here's some of the best practices you want to keep in mind. Um, number one, establish a data governance framework. Um, so that's basically you want your data consistent and compliant. 
So it should include your policies, your procedures, your standards for data collection, storage, use, and security. Best practice number two, implement data quality management. So this is basically making sure that your data is reliable, accurate, and complete. Um, if it's not, if you, you know, bad data in, bad data out, I've seen, I think that's the most common thing I've seen is just like yeah. people try to put the, put the horse before, put the horse before the cart. No, that's how, put the cart before the horse. <laughs> um, and, you know, you expect to be able to make some data driven decisions, but if the data is yeah. crap, you're, you're not going to be able to make any decisions. Uh, best practice could, number could three. Can we jump into that? Can we jump into these? I'd love for yeah. yeah. Let's jump so into it. Asking, yeah. Um, Grant here. So I, I've kind of did a little bit dabbled in the machine learning and the biggest challenge is, you know, the, the garbage data, the, the data and engineering wrangling, right. And getting it to, to kind of all fit together to what you actually need to run these models on what, uh, what challenges have you had with that or what, you know, tools I mean, to help or what the governance I, side of it, making sure it's good. Yeah, that, that is a hundred percent true. Um, you need good data to get good models. Oftentimes, that's like that's the hardest aspect of it. Um, and when building out an AI model, uh, oftentimes it what it comes down to in the end is there's only so much you can do and so much you can play around with on the um, on the machine learning side on the the processing of your data to get better and better results uh, and so you need you need to have a uh, good way to get your data in you want to make sure you're not losing information when you bring uh when you take your data and put it where you need it to be and transform it into the formats you need it to be that's probably the thing i'm looking out for the most when i'm uh doing anything with data um is i i want to i'm want to make sure I'm not losing information, I'm trying to be meticulous and not uh, not break things, because there's another big concern that you don't want to have a situation where you lose a bunch of really important information for your project, uh, or it just doesn't get recorded, and then you have this mess that can't be all that useful in your uh, end product. Um, and so that's, yeah, that that's definitely been the biggest Sounds like yeah. what you're saying with machine learning grant, it's like you have to, there's going to be an acceptable tolerance of like, it's only going to get so far. Like it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a hundred percent the model or, you know, whatever the prediction is, right. You get, you have to say, yeah. what's what are we trying to get it to? Um, I'm just thinking about Evercare. It's this machine learning program grant wrote to kind of like analyze lawns and predict how, how much mowable space is in a lawn. And so, like, we're using, like, satellite images that are, like, kind of grainy, right? Or, like, they're not yeah. perfect. So it's, like, you have to, like, the data that we're putting into it isn't high res. So we have to know, like, well, we're only, we're, we're best we can do is, like, 90% accuracy, right? And is that good yep. enough for the for the target market, the target industry that we're trying to sell this thing to, right? Yeah, and that's, I, there's a big challenge in in this sort of thing where you need to find a way to get what you need uh, for as for the best the best uh, available price point the um, and be able to use it, but uh, these sorts of projects, especially with image processing, requires so much um, so much so much data that it can become somewhat prohibitive. Uh, however, 
like I there I, I try to aim for certain benchmarks of well uh like Adam said, what's the sort of good enough mark and what's the like what what can we do with what we have? Uh and so a lot of uh, I mean obviously verifying quality and uh playing around with a lot of input parameters can get you that little bit of extra help. Um but it's a lot of uh a lot of you know getting the data to do what you want uh yeah. and crossing a certain baseline threshold there. All right, best practice number three. Uh, automate data management processes. Seems like a no-brainer, right? Automation is good. Automation uh, kind of falls in line with DevOps. Um, you know, anytime you're doing manual things, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget things. So it makes a lot of sense. Best practice for data ops number four is uh, foster collaboration across teams. We, t we did talk a lot about that today already, where it's, it seems like that's almost, you know, that's that's... It's really important, you know, for any 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 organization. I really like the way GM does it, the the way you explain Mark, where you guys are kind of like going door to door selling your product, and uh, you can either buy it or 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 not buy it. So that's pretty cool. And and also just to add to the collaboration, right, with with DevOps and um, <clears throat> kind of that mindset that I really like to see that kind of changed was getting, you know, thinking about. Um, architecture, the, the cost of things, how things are going to be tested before things are built, right? And, and collaborating with teams and what, you know, before we even build this, you know, what, what data tool are we thinking? And then, so along with that, thinking about what data we might need and making sure we're recording that before we even build that tool, right? T talking to the, those experts and, and making sure um, ahead of time that collaboration. Best practice number five, monitor and improve data performance. So uh, again, kind of falls in line with the dev, uh, the DevOps philosophy, continuous improvement. Um, you know, always looking for ways to monitor your data quality, how, how the performance of it, like how how quickly can I access it, right? If you have to, you know, if you if you need data and you can't, if it's cumbersome to get to it, right? That's not a good process. So. Um, and then the last rounding out the best practices is um, implement data security and compliance. So uh, this is essential to protect the data. We talked a little bit about PII and lower environments and things like that. So um, kind of ties back into the governance framework we talked as the first best practice, but just you know you can have mechanisms to monitor your compliance, right? You can I know there's things in like S3 grant that can like, look through your S3 buckets for PII and, you know, send out the alarms and things like that. I'm sure IBM has some pretty cool tools to to help you with compliance as well. Um, is there anything special you guys are doing with compliance and um, your stuff, Mark? Oh, yeah, that's huge. <laughs> so we have this internal system that we use um, for, for measuring things like that. Um, I don't, I'm not sure if I can actually share what what we call it, but you know I can give you sort of a little info of what we do. Basically, is you know you're checking to see if your technology compliant. Are you using the latest version of your software? Is that is that tool you know accepted in by GM? Um, you got to have you know security compliance. Are you meeting all the security rules? Is your is your data you know compliant with you know any local state you know federal you know there's all these so many different security rules stuff like that. Um, do you have 
you know, your business continuity, like I mentioned earlier, a, a failover, like if, you know, if one server goes down, do you have another server that could come up if it goes down? Um, you know, is your tool and your data in the right area? Like there's, so there's, you know, certain spaces in a database or a server that, you know, if you're not under our, you know, your organization's, you know, umbrella, so to say, you're not compliant. So you got to move it into the right area and, you know, um, so yeah, there's there's a ton of different measures for compliance uh, that we use. Yep. They make it. <clears throat> do they make it streamlined, or is it really is it pretty cumbersome? Uh, at is first, it... it's pretty cumbersome, just because they you know they they just want to make sure you have everything. But once once if you basically, you know, get all your, you know, your thumbs up, your you know, for all those areas, then you're you're pretty much just in, in maintenance mode at that point, just making sure you're still. You know, you're still compliant. You know, doing your your yearly checkups, uh, or you know, however often you have to check up on things, you make sure your your you know your certificates are still valid. Um, just just stuff like that. Just staying up to date on things. But you know, the initial assessment is pretty cumbersome. But after that, like I said, it's fine. Awesome. Well, we're getting close to being at time here. I want to respect everyone's workday. Um, any final thoughts from the 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 panel here um, before I close it out? No, just thanks for having me on. I, I, I love talking about data, so um, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to share all this information. And yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot Thank to Grant uh, and Mark, Nicole, for joining today. Um, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedules. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks to the listeners for tuning in today, the audience for showing up. Um, hope you enjoyed the conversation and thought it was fun and informative. Love to have everyone join us again next week. We're going to be talking about AWS tagging strategies. Very exciting. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> I know Joe's <laughs> real excited for that one. <laughs> so uh, thanks again, everyone. Uh, this concludes our show. Lunch is over, so get back to work. work. <laughs> <laughs>